for the first time this season. We're going to play a little bit of buy low and sell high and talk about a ton of good pitching performances, more pitchers for you to consider adding on the waiver wire. Welcome, everybody, the Thursday show, April 5th. I am Adam Azer. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R. He is Scott White. You can follow him at CBS Scott White. Hello at CBS Scott White. Hello, Adam. How you doing? Oh, I am just wonderful. Good, just good. wonderful. So good. Feeling good about Dylan Bundy. Starting to feel a little good about Mike Fultonevich, though I've been there before. We it has have. gone so well. We have been there before. Of course, I think Scott's just surprised at how good the Braves have been. The highest scoring team in baseball, and they are four and two. And Heath Cummings is here at Heath Cummings SR at Heath Cummings Senior on Twitter. Hello, Heath. Was great to see Johnny Cueto pitch like an ace last night. I am looking forward when we get to the buy low, sell high to read your asinine tweet. I have a tweet? Yes, and it's ridiculous. It's <laughs> you, you probably have a few thousand. Very tweets. ridiculous what you said. Oh, what I said night. yesterday. Oh, no, yes. it's not. If, you if, have 35,000 tweets, to be clear. If, uh, if it's ace. It's like twice as many as me. Stands for, if Ace stands for awful, crappy, ex good pitcher, like Borgman, then yeah, he's an Ace. Burn. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to sell high on Johnny Cueto. First of all, I mean, it looks like it's just obvious. What does he have? Six strikeouts and two starts? Oh, you mean to read the tweet now? Five strike, yes, yes, you know, he has 13 innings and he has five strikeouts, so that's, that's number one. And yes, go ahead, read the tweet. I hope Cueto gets out of this jam so I can sell high. I am not buying it at all. I think he's going to be worth using at home and bad on the road. Now, so far, I think reasonable people could disagree about these sentences, and maybe you're not completely wrong. I'll try to turn him into a top 30 pitcher, maybe Sonny Gray. So, like, did you mean Sonny Gray is a top 30 pitcher? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. And Johnny Cueto's not? Correct. And so you would rather have Sonny Gray, who went, what, four innings in his first start? Yeah, I, I would definitely rather have Sonny Gray than Cueto. And has been jo- better than Johnny Cueto, like, once? Well, I, I don't think Johnny Cueto is Johnny Cueto anymore. I mean, he doesn't throw yeah. hard at all. I mean, the, the what we usually measure dominance by, Gray has Cueto whipped the last two seasons. It's not even close. So, yeah, I, I would rather have Gray than Cueto. Yeah, no chance. You might... Be able to start Sonny Gray on the road as long as it's not on the on the road at like Fenway or something. Why? Why is he not startable at Yankee Stadium? He's a ground ball pitcher. He misses a lot of bats. Like he's. he's I, I don't know well about the, the pitch he misses there. a lot of bats thing at all. It's been true. It was definitely true in his first start, and it was true last year too. He was among the top twenty, I think, in swinging strike rate. Well, he wasn't good at Yankee Stadium last year. There weren't that many starts. So I would like to aim higher. I did make a Johnny Johnny Cueto trade offer, and you can tell me if this is an Azer trade. And now, and I, it got rejected. Um, so it probably was an Azer trade. What is an Azer trade? People think I make lopsided trade offers. They're not necessarily wrong about that. So in our Roto League, I offered Johnny Cueto and Elvis Andrews for Madison Bumgarner and Trey Turner. That's an Azer offer. Is it? I mean, you got I, two yeah, months. I get accepted. Trey Turner, the well, person's first round pick. Yeah, that's true. But I am giving him Elvis Andrews, and at best, your sixth round pick. So the best you're offering for a first round pick is a sixth round pick, and you're asking for a second player in return, who's I, probably going to be better than Cueto in the long run. I like the offer. 
<laughs> I, you know what? I, I had a like feeling it, it was rejected. I had a feeling it was going to be rejected. I would listen to this. I would counter it, and I might do this. Cueto for Bumgarner, straight up. This is a roto league, so I just need the long term production. I'd, I'd rather a Bumgarner, even with he's going to miss two months. Now that seems feasible. That, it, that it, seems like a reasonable offer. Yeah, I, I mean you're getting ripped off in that deal, but in a roto league, it makes a little right, bit what more you, sense. What do you like so much about Johnny Cueto? He's because it seems like you're. I just don't think we need to say Johnny Cueto is done because of two starts at the beginning of the year. When, well, he wasn't very good last year. That's true. He had some blister issues. Yeah, like, and if he was anybody the, we liked, we would just use the injury excuse for him. And while the ERA has been good these first two starts, all the underlying numbers are um, discouraging. The control's been good, right? Yeah, the control's, the control's been good. Been fine. Honestly, though, like he was so lucky, and he did get out of that jam because somebody rocketed a line drive right at Pablo Sandoval at third base. He got hit really hard, but the ball stayed in the yard because it was kind of cool and because that park is huge. So I do think you'll be able to use Cueto at home. I don't think he's trash, but the, the strikeout numbers, two swings swings and misses yesterday, it does worry me for Cueto, and I think this is an opportunity to sell high. Fine, you want to aim higher than Sonny Gray? Aim higher than Sonny Gray. Make an offer but of— Wasn't, wasn't eight, Sonny Gray's ADP higher than Cueto? That's what I'm not understanding. It here. was. Like, why? It like, was. Well, yeah, no, I he, I agree. He's just in a different stratosphere here, and I'm trying to understand it. He just likes Cueto more. Gray than had that great strikeout year last year and struck out basically the same number of batters that Johnny Cueto did. Eight point five per nine is how many Cueto had. Cueto was at eight point three. Okay. Look, I, you gotta but watch it, but Johnny Cueto's Cueto. Velocity was down last year. It was he only averaged ninety on his fastball in this start, so even you know further down. Guy with a lot of innings on his arm. I just worry he's going the way of Felix Hernandez here. Yeah, I just, like, Johnny Cueto's dominance was never based on dominating in the way, like, striking a bunch of guys out. He had one year where he almost struck out a batter per nine innings. Yeah. Okay, but if, but if he's lower than what he's used to be, he's going to get hit. Like, he has five strikeouts in 13 innings with lower velocity. Only had two swinging strikes yesterday. Yeah, now Those Seattle, Seattle has the second few with strikeouts in baseball. That's who he faced yesterday. However, they've only played Five games, so it's pretty hard to judge. All right, we can move on, but that is a guy. I'm going to ask you who you're looking to sell high and, and or and or buy low on. I don't really think there are that many obvious candidates right now, unless someone's you know dumb enough to give you Joey Votto for nothing or something like that. But other than the studs who we know are going to come around, I don't, I don't know that there's a guy that really jumps off the page. But Cueto to me is a guy that I've watched. I watched yesterday. I watched a little bit of his first start, which was really good against the Dodgers. And, you know, I don't want to make too much of what I have observed, but I have observed an overweight pitcher who doesn't look special at all, who got really yucky, really lucky yesterday. And personally, I'm just very down on him. Doesn't mean that you have to be. I'm not saying this is a fact. It's a risk to trade Cueto. But if I can turn him into a guy that I like better to begin with, like Sonny Gray, I'll do it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that makes sense. That sums it up. Um, and, and look, I don't mean to bury. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm getting back into it. I don't mean to bury Cueto either. Like, it's two starts. He could certainly turn things around. I was giving him a pass for the blister issue last year, but like, I, I got to come strong just because Heath is being obtuse about this. I'm not being obtuse. Sonny Gray was one of the most overdrafted pitchers in the first place. Okay, so look, he. That's the thing then. That you just th- you just think Sonny Gray's overrated, which is fair. I mean, right. His ERA would suggest it. Okay, then. Any interesting ad drops for you guys last night or recently that you'd like to talk uh, well, about? Well, like I said, Fultonevich is somebody I'm going to think about adding now. I, I don't, first of all, how, 
is Corbin somebody who could be added anywhere? Or is his ownership no, already? Too he's in the nineties, ninety-four percent. All right, so we'll get into him later. But Mike Fultonevich, I'm sure, is available enough to consider adding, and he's a guy who I've said a few times I feel like is just a changeup away. Obviously, has that high nineties fastball, a pretty good slider, but needs a way to neutralize, uh, you know, opposite-handed hitters. Yesterday against the Nationals, who have some pretty good lefties in their lineup. Um, he threw his change up 21% of the time. Ooh. It was, he only six times last year did he throw it even more than 10% of the time. So obviously got a very good result with that. The strikeout rate was good. The swinging strike rate number was acceptable. Um, and this is two good starts in a row. If, uh, if it becomes a regular part of his arsenal, I think it could be what puts him over the top finally. And, um, I don't know that he has quite ace upside, but, after two good starts, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching him, and um, you might want to pick him up just in case there's a third good one here to begin the season, and, and then you have no chance at him. Fulton Evich is 65% owned, and the changeup thing's really important because, you know, I, I kind of, I have a little bit of waiver wire fatigue right now, going crazy, picking up Skaggs, looking for Ronaldo Lopez, this and that. I, I, I just, Fulton Evich is a guy that has fooled us before. He had a 281 ERA in April last year. He had a 10 start stretch in July or June to July last year with a 3.30 ERA, and still ended up having a kind of disappointing year. But the changeup thing is interesting. We're always looking for, you know, a reason behind newfound success, so that could certainly help. And again, he's 65% old. Mike Fultonevich. Heath, how about you? Any interesting ad drops? You know that I haven't. Unfortunately, I, I made some ad drops over the weekend, but we already talked about those on Monday. I did not make any at all last night. I was just looking through what happened in those games. I assume, like, really the things that I was excited about, Sean Manaya's start, that was, he's basically owned everywhere, I'm sure. He's, um, only, he's only 79% owned. He's owned in all of our league, Sean Manaya, but that ownership might need to go up a little bit. Yeah, I would definitely say that it probably does need to go up just a little bit. And it feels like there was some, I was just trying to think, there was one player that I wrote about in yesterday's waiver wire that was not 100% owned that needs to be. And now I'm going to have to try to find it. You will. I trust you. Well, I added Preston Tucker in a five outfielder league. He homered. He had a three-run homer off Scherzer. I I like I prioritize him a little bit because I am the Acuna owner. I don't know if it has anything to do with the other, but I feel like it's a little bit of Acuna insurance. Um, that you know, if maybe Preston Tucker hits so well that they delay Acuna's call up, uh, but. I don't know. It didn't seem like a bad idea to have both, and I didn't drop anybody good for him. Yeah, I did pick up Aledmus Diaz yesterday in a couple of leagues, and he didn't actually play last night. He's got a little back issue, as they say, is nothing. But uh, he'd had a big night, and I just don't think as a shortstop playing half your games in the Rogers Center, you have to be, be what he was in 2016 to be useful. Okay, guys. Um, so, you know what? Let's look at the fringy starting pitchers, okay? We usually do this in the middle of the show or later in the show, but I think it's important because, you know, people are – making the ad drops with these guys. So the fringy starting pitchers, and I think the ownership percentages really need to change with some of these guys. Felix Hernandez is 90% owned. So, you know, he had an encouraging start against Cleveland his first outing. He was terrible yesterday at the Giants. Felix Hernandez, 90% owned. Sean Manaya, 79% owned. Jake Odorizzi, 79% owned. Ivan Nova, 77% owned. Fultonevich, 65%. 
and Tyler Skaggs. Four and two-thirds, five hits, two runs, two walks, five strikeouts against the Indians. Coming off a great start against Oakland in his first start. He was okay yesterday. Skaggs is the lowest owned of this group, 58%. I will read the names one more time. Felix Hernandez, Sean Manaya, Jake Odorizzi, Ivan Nova, Mike Fultonevich, and Tyler Skaggs. That is sorted by ownership percentage. All right, what do you think about that group? Who are your three favorites? Scott, kick it off. My three favorites are Manaya, Fultonevich, and Skaggs, who I thought was uh, inefficient yesterday but still dominant. 13 swinging strikes uh, after, what, an 18 swinging strike game his first time out. No reason to drop him if you picked him up after that first start. Still excited about him. Sean Manaya, um, you know, he didn't have the big swinging strike total in this start like he had in his first start, but just seems to be in much better command of his arsenal this year. And uh, is somebody who both last year and this year has shown the ability to pitch deep in the games. So I think he might be on the verge of turning the corner too. Yeah, Manaya is the only one on this list that I'm actually really like gun ho about, but. Skaggs and Fulton Evich, I agree with Scott, are, are two and three. They're just a level below Manaya, and in my opinion, closer probably to Odorizzi than they are to him. Skaggs and Fulton Evich really do have good stuff. <laughs> it's never been a question for Fulton Evich. Skaggs is someone who's been so hurt, but I've been, you know, I've just, I think everybody's pretty impressed with 95 I mean, mile per hour lefty. I don't know if he's quite that high consistently, but he's got right. very good stuff. Yesterday was more what I expected from him, like the first game against the Athletics. And they've been pretty good offensively in a lot of games besides that one. So maybe maybe that's more impressive than I gave it credit for. But yesterday's performance were it's just going to be really tough for the Angels pitchers if they're not getting through six on a regular basis and they're only pitching every six days to be really useful in fantasy. Okay, um, so the three favorites are Manaya, Fultonevich, and Skaggs. And what, just one thing on Manaya, what about the strikeouts? I mean, the strikeouts were there in the first start, but throughout his career, he hasn't been a strikeout guy. Do you expect him to be a strikeout printing kind of guy, Manaya? I don't. I, I think he has the potential to be that because he has shown it in, in stretches and his changeup in particular is, is a dominant pitch. Um, but it, do I expect it? I don't expect it. But I think if, like, I think it's one of those things where you can have the change, I mean, you can have the strikeouts or you can have the innings and, you know, that trade-off may not necessarily be bad for him in, uh, in the environment we're in right now where so pitchers, so few pitchers pitch deep into games. Yeah, I, I would say I look at his upside more as like two guys we talked about before, Gray and Cueto, where you're hoping he gets to eight and a half per nine and it's probably more realistic. He's around eight. Alrighty. So that is Sean Manaya, and then it's Felix Hernandez, Odorizzi, and Nova. Would you guys have any issues dropping them for for anyone you liked? No, none at all. Yeah, and I think that's a change for you for Felix, right, Heath? Yeah, I mean, I was the first start was okay, so I was like, go get him and do something like this against the Giants at San Francisco. Nah, nobody's gonna pick him up if you drop him. That's probably true. All right, guys, uh, let's get to some of the big news after I tell you about SeatGeek. Yes, SeatGeek going to the Yankees game tomorrow night. It's probably going to be very cold, but I'm going to get there with the SeatGeek app. In fact, we've already bought tickets on the SeatGeek app, and you can do it too, and you can download the app and save 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase with our promo code FANTASY. So you type in FANTASY. Can you believe I get a text from somebody yesterday, yesterday morning, and it said, hey, what is the SeatGeek promo code? And I wrote back, 
fantasy. Would you believe that somebody who texted me was Chris Towers? I mean, like, are you kidding? <laughs> How many times have I said the promo code on the air, Chris Towers? Uh, it's fantasy. Feel free to tweet me or email us if you need the promo code. But, yeah, download the SeatGeek app. Look for an event. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites, compares prices, finds the best deals, grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately find the best seats that fit your budget. And, you know, look, this is uh, this is an important part of it, too, a really important part. Every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I want you to download the SeatGeek app. Get tickets to sports, to comedy, to concerts, to theater, and use the code FANTASY for 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Chris Towers. Other standout? Uh, no, big news. Let's gotta do the big news. Uh, Christian Yelich left with oblique soreness. They say it is precautionary. We hope they are not lying to us. Liars! Michael Brantley is 78% owned. He is expected back on Friday. Who wants to own Michael Brantley? Oh, 100%. I already do. Same. Yep. Must in points leagues mm-hmm. because he never strikes out, and that makes a big difference in that format. But even in roto leagues, the fact that he's going to, in all likelihood, be batting average help because he doesn't strike out. Um, five outfielder leagues usually, I probably worth owning there. Brantley has hit two ninety nine or better in three of his last four seasons, and the only time he didn't was when he played eleven games in two thousand sixteen. Michael Conforto is set to come off the DL today. You obviously like Conforto better than Brantley, right? Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if on a per-game basis Brantley's better in points, but yes. All righty. Uh, Colorado signed Charlie Blackman to a six-year deal. According to Buster only, could be worth about a $116 million. It's actually a four-year deal with two player options. And that means for at least the next five years, we never have to talk about, oh, well, the Rockies could trade him, and then what happens? Right. To his value. Well, in I mean, three could, years, but... he could he would be in the last year where they actually control him. The last two are player options. Oh. Okay. So I think we got like two and a half years. All right. You're right. You're right. It'll it'll be it'll happen again soon, people. All right. What else we got? Will Myers on the DL with nerve irritation in his arm, and Jake Lamb has a sprained AC joint. Have you guys seen any timetables for Myers or Lamb? Uh. Myers, I I no. thought was supposed to be the minimum. But well, and, and I know they were hoping for the minimum for Lamb, too, but hopes are different from reality sometimes. I haven't seen any update there. And Arizona, so I just read it. It was kind of weird. Arizona looking to keep Paul Goldschmidt fresh this year, play him in, like, the mid-150s, uh, about 155 games or less <laughs> this year. Or oh, oh, fewer? Okay. fewer? <laughs> like, um, it, that... Okay, I mean that's that's a huge total that very few players get to still. So I'm not sure. Like Paul Goldschmidt would be lucky to be in the mid 150s in games played. It would mean he had perfect health all year. That's true. That well, he's been true. over 155 each of the last three years, yeah. four of the last five. I think that's been a nice string of luck for him, as it would be for any player who doesn't have to miss time with injury ever. The point of it was they were going to rest him more than normal, right, Adam? Yes, but not less than like 150 games. But yes, an occasional day off. And I, I feel like managers say this and don't hold themselves to it. But that is what was said. So it Sounds I, meaningless. It, yes, me. right. It's not going to lower Goldschmidt's value. It's already been lowered. It has already been humidored. Uh, Zach Cozart hit the Angels' first extra inning walk-off home run since 2014. That sounds like a long time to go without an extra inning walk-off home run. So it does. Congrats to the Angels. Yeah. Let's Congrats get to, to Zach Cozart. Off to a really good start. 
He is off to a pretty good start. I was going to mention him as a standout. I figured maybe I'd say there was a lot on the show today. But a guy you could be realistically skeptical about because last year was such an outlier, especially with batting average. But he's off to a good start. All right. Standouts from Wednesday's games. Let's go. Heath, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, I already talked about Johnny Cueto. So you want a different standout from yesterday's game. Why don't you go first? Me? All I right. didn't know you were going there next. Brian Dozier. Brian Dozier, look, this is a comparison that uh, I will not necessarily make but offer. Uh, Joey Votto had, I, I believe, a two-year stretch where he was pretty disappointing in the first half and legendary in the second half. And then last year, he was great all year, and he had arguably his best season. I don't know if his best season, but his, it was an amazing season for Votto. Dozier is a career 225 hitter in April. Uh, last two years after the All-Star break, he slugged like 591 and 646. He's now off to a great start with four home runs and a 318 batting average and a steal. Only four RBIs on four home runs. Three walks, three strikeouts. Dozier's killing it. So uh, I guess I'm just going to throw that out there, that maybe he has that full-season awesome year like Votto did last year. But what do you think about Dozier right now? Maybe he does. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two years ago— there was something going on with him health-wise in the first half that um, made for that that helped make for that stark contrast. I think it was a hip issue or something. My memory could be wrong there. Um, so I don't know that he deserves to be um, pegged as that sort of player who you can only count on in the second half. I I have talked about him being an uncomfortable choice in the early rounds before, just because. I know in the past when I've owned him, I've gotten frustrated with him and wondered if it was the end and fortunately didn't make any bad decisions there, but it was just kind of frustrating to own him. But the one league where I drafted him this year, which was actually our podcast league, 12 team points league, um, obviously very happy with what's happening. I got an email yesterday. It was an interesting email. I don't remember the full context of the, of the guy's teams, but he said, would you trade Mike Trout? I believe it was a 10 team league. Mike Trout for Brian Dozier and Francisco Lindor. Well, you know what, Adam? I have uh, a trade chart. Yeah. The first trade chart of the season is up, and while I would not consider it gospel in these situations, it's it's obviously a helpful guide. Uh, it's, I'm going to alternate between head-to-head points and rotisserie, which you know are, is helpful in head-to-head categories. One week to the next, I'm going to alternate between those two formats. Uh, so the the what was it? It was Lindor and who else? Dozier for Trout. Lindor and Dozier for Trout. So I have Lindor at 31. I have Dozier at 28. That adds up to 59. And I have Trout at 50. So I, and my gut just hearing the terms was that's, that's a big enough return. That's two third round picks basically for a first rounder. The only thing I'll say from doing the trade chart most of last year is in doing it this way, you have to have some sort of factor when analyzing two for one, three for one deals because the side with multiple players will all, often have a higher value when you don't actually agree with it. Yeah, so I I actually wrote that in the introduction. This is intended basically just for one-for-one and two-for-one deals because, yeah, if you get into three-for-one, four-for-one, heaven forbid, uh, the the roster crunch that's going to result from that trade makes it a no-go. In a 10-team league, I don't think I'd do that. In a 12-team, I definitely would. Okay, you would give up Trout for Dozier and Lindor. I just thought it was an interesting trade. Um, All right, so other standouts? I'll go with the best starting pitcher yesterday, 
Carlos Martinez at Miller Park, dominant. Ten strikeouts. Uh, no, no reason for concern there. It was great, yeah. So far he's been a little Carlos martinez right? One pretty bad start and amazing start. And he was bad at Miller Park in three starts last year, so good stuff from him. Scott, I think uh, it's time to talk about Patrick Corbin. Seven and a third, one hit, no runs, one walk, 12 strikeouts. 21 swinging strikes for Corbin. Coming off of a really good start with eight strikeouts and five and two-thirds, two runs against Colorado. And I, th- oh, you know, he was actually better at home than on the road last year, so I don't know if he's a humidor kind of guy, but it doesn't hurt. Uh, anyway, Corbin, 94% owned, 69% started. It's time to start yeah. starting him in one-star weeks, I guess. I think he's figured something out here because you may remember over the last few months of last year, the, the strikeouts really started to pick up for Corbin. I think he had a bumpy September. Uh, as the innings began to accumulate. But, you know, the couple months leading up to that, really, the strikeouts really picked up, and it w- corresponded to how often he used his slider. He was throwing it more and more as the season went on. And in this start yesterday against the Dodgers, Corbin threw his slider 54% of the time. It was basically his primary pitch. Of those 21 swinging strikes, he got uh, half of them, I think 10, on the slider. And, um, like that's, that's even taking it beyond what he was doing last year. And you see the result one hit, 12 strikeouts against the Dodgers of all teams. Very impressive. I think there's a chance he could become sort of the 2018 version of Brad Peacock. And what I mean by that is, uh, a guy who starts throwing his slider ridiculously often and getting a lot more strikeouts because of it. Who are you more impressed with right now, Patrick Corbin or Dylan Bundy, who also is crushing it with his slider? But his fastball, his four-seam fastball yesterday, Bundy's was better. It was very good. Got a lot of whiffs with it. Uh, mm. Corbin or Bundy, who's more impressive for you right now? Well, Bundy, I, this is what I thought Bundy could be if he featured his slider like he did yesterday, like he has the first two games. Through 25% of the time yesterday, it's his best pitch. He needs to lean on it. But I knew he could do this if he did. Corbin, I did not, I didn't really even know he was capable of this sort of thing, and I, it's kind of, uh, I've kind of had my eyes opened there. Yeah, both very impressive. I do wonder, I, I think it's really good when pitchers make these types of changes to feature their best pitches. I wonder if a month from now when the scouting report says he's throwing a slider 50% of the time, if that method becomes less effective. Like, right now, when the scouting report says he throws his slider about a quarter of the time, it's really, really good, watch for it, and he throws it half half of his pitches, that could really be dominant. You do wonder that, but it's it's kind of rooted in uh, it, it's rooted in analytics. The Astros, I think, threw the second fewest fastballs of any team last year, and we know they're a analytics-heavy organization. Basically, because high 90s fastballs have become the norm in baseball, uh, this generation of players has been so trained to key in on that velocity well, that breaking balls are more effective than ever. High 90s fastballs are are most of the pitches they see. Yeah. If it's not most of the pitches they see, yeah. then it will become I, more I'm effective. Just, I think it's a generation. I don't know that they can adjust that quickly. Maybe they can, but you know, Bundy's know. Bundy's really interesting because he he doesn't throw hard, and and uh, his fastball was very good yesterday, and uh, that's not normally the case with him. He throws about 92, uh, which isn't great for a right-handed pitcher. Now, he had 
a 293 ERA last year through his first 12 starts, but only 53 strikeouts in 76 and two-thirds. This year, Bundy had eight strikeouts at Houston, and uh, what did he have in his first game? Seven strikeouts in seven innings against Minnesota. So he's over a strikeout per inning. That's a great start. And then down the stretch last year, in August, Bundy had a two ERA. He had 45 strikeouts in 36 innings and 16% swinging strikes. Yeah, there was like a gap of 15 to 20 starts in the middle of the season where he just kind of stopped featuring the slider through it like 15% of the time instead of 25% of the time, and that's when things went wrong for him. So it's it's just such a close correlation, and the scouting reports when he was, you know, way back when he was considered the best prospect in baseball, it was all because of that one pitch, and he kind of got away from it, rehabilitating from Tommy John and other injuries, um, but then started to feature it last year. And in the starts where he actually featured it, he was he was dominant. So this is Dylan Bundy we're talking about. In fantasy baseball, you know, there are players that you feel you feel you you know what to expect from. Players that you you know have conviction like like the kind of the way I feel about Cueto. Then there are players like Bundy and Corbin where I don't know that any of us can really feel super confident in what's happening. We we can say we're very encouraged. And we can say we have a rosier outlook. But I think we could all envision a scenario where things go south or it's a little up and down, inconsistent. I think my point is when I have a player like that on my team, I'm not looking to buy or sell. Those are just holds. Just see what happens. You guys feel that way, right? Like a lot of guys just I don't know what's gonna happen with Dylan Bundy. I don't well, know. I'm not what... trying to trade for Bundy or Corbin right now. That that to it does not seem like good timing. Nor am I trying to sell high on them. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing with novices then you could you could maybe convince somebody that Corbin is you know going to be um an ace now all of a sudden look what he just did but i feel like if you play with experienced players they're like they're not going to give you they're not going to pay for the potential of Corbin they're going to pay face value for Corbin which is basically what his draft value was after only two starts and I think you'd rather take a chance on the upside at that point I mean obviously you liked him to draft him in the first place yeah that's probably best to hold you could probably trade him for Blake Snell tomorrow if you wanted to right I would do that now the question is would I trade Cueto for Corbin or, or Bundy I think I would it's not a sell high if you're doing that nope no but you're, it might you're buying high and selling it might be for the Corbin owner who looks at Cueto and sees the ERA for the first two outings, says, I'm yeah. going to turn Patrick Corbin into Johnny Cueto. Take that. I mean, I've made trades like that where um, th- there was an exciting player, but not necessarily one who was as highly regarded as the one I was giving up. But one I was excited about, one I believed in, and I just was completely uh, convinced that what I was giving up was no good anymore. I'd, I've made those kinds of trades before, and it's worked out. But I'm not sure I'm that convinced that Cueto's done that I'd be willing to do it in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I certainly don't want to use the word done with him. I do think he's going to struggle on the road, though. Uh, Two more standouts real quick. I already mentioned Preston Tucker. He's now 10% owned. But Shohei Otani is 50% owned in Yahoo Leagues. Shohei Otani, the hitter, is 50% owned in Yahoo Leagues. Uh, What do you think about it? Like, in CBS, he's just one guy. But is he worth owning as a hitter? I left him on waivers in my Yahoo League. He's got a home run in two straight games. He started three of seven games. He's appeared in four of seven games. You know, 
I'm not really that interested in owning him, to be quite honest, as a hitter. I, almost all Yahoo leagues are daily lineup leagues, though. That is a daily lineup league, and I, I, I that think makes that, a difference. It does. Like I, that, I just, he's he's only going to start as a hitter three or four times a week. That's right. that's the way it has to be because he has to be ready to pitch. Um, so that that takes him out of the discussion, I think, in weekly leagues, unless it's a very deep format where everybody's starting part timers anyway. But um, daily league, I mean. It's been impressive. Homering off Josh Tomlin is one thing because that's like the easiest pitcher to homer off of. But <laughs> yeah. Corey Kluber, it's another matter entirely. And he had, was it three hits again yesterday? Two. Two for five. It's two. Two for five, but three hits the day before. Um, like, it's not an open shut case. He's a great hitter now. But, like, if you're encouraged about Preston Tucker, I don't know how you couldn't be encouraged about Otani, even more encouraged about Otani's hitter potential. Uh, based on the way he started out. Yeah, I'm more excited about Otani as a hitter than I am Preston Tucker. But it, it would have to be a unique situation for me in a Yahoo League because, as we've talked about often, generally in those types of leagues, your bench spots are mostly pitchers. And the only, if the only place I'm going to be able to – I don't know where he's eligible there, but he's not going to be multi-position eligible. So if I'm having to use him at utility mostly on a two- or three-time-a-week basis – right. That, that that makes it really tough. It's a, it'd have to be a unique situation. If I had like Chris Taylor or Eduardo Nunez on my team and I could plug Otani into utility and move those guys around, then maybe. Yeah, it, yeah. It does. It depends on how much flexibility you have with Otani. I, I think he was like 22% owned 24 hours ago, and now he's up to 50. I, I'm not sure about that, but I think that was the case. I was going to mention it yesterday, um, but but I didn't. So I mentioned it today. All right, I'm also mentioning draft. I'm going to challenge some people on the draft app. We are going to play some daily fantasy baseball. I am going to try to beat you this time. I came in second last time, but you need to download the draft app, and you do a snake draft. And we do. I do five-person contests with the listeners. You can follow me. My name is Big Kane 2 on draft. Follow me, and when I post a draft, you can get a notification about it. Uh, but when you sign up on the draft app and you make your first deposit, use our promo code FBTODAY. The promo code again is FB today. This will allow you to play in a real money game for free with the promo code FB today. Now you do the snake draft. You compete. A lot of, most of them are one pitcher, two infielders, two outfielders. So it's really quick. There's 30 seconds on the clock. You can, I think, adjust that. But the drafts, they don't take long at all. You can do a two person draft. You can do a 10 person draft. Uh, you can also change the settings to make it harder and eliminate some players from the pool. Do like the expert settings. It's just really, really fun. And you win some money. Draft start at just one buck. There's a draft out there for everyone. Download the draft app or play on your computer at draft.com. And when you make your first deposit, use the promo code FB today. You're getting a real money game for free. Again, download the draft app or go to draft.com and enter the promo code FB today. I know you are going to really, really like it. Uh, we didn't mention something that I think we need to. If Kenley Jansen ends up on the DL and he's got diminished velocity and was rubbing his shoulder so we can't completely rule it out, who would you handcuff him with or who would you speculate on in the Dodgers' bullpen? I would speculate on Josh Fields. He's been the designated eighth-inning guy so far this season. I think he has the bat-missing ability you want from a closer, also a little homer-prone, which is scary. But there were times the Astros tried him in that role, so... Uh, that would be my first choice. What I think will really happen, though, if if the Dodgers had to remove Jansen, like, and this is one organization where I feel like they would say this and I'd believe them because they're willing to do anything with pitchers, it seems like. I think they'd go by committee. 
I don't think there's a clear enough standout in that bullpen that they'd commit to any one guy. Um, I don't suspect if they removed Jansen, it would be like a rest of season thing anyway. So that makes it even me even less interested in picking up a guy. But if I did have to pick up one guy, it'd be Fields. Okay. Heath, agree, disagree? Because yeah, Baez is I, the other guy. Pedro Baez and Josh Fields are probably the two that you should really know about right now. I mean, we have no indication that this is something that's close to happening. Sure. Um, but I wouldn't be overly excited about anyone. I think Fields is the most likely. I would expect it would be a committee situation. George, uh, our editor, one of our, one of our editors, George Maselli, um, he floated the idea yesterday. Maybe they try Walker Bueller, their top pitching prospect in that role. And I don't think it was a crazy one, but that, that seems to me like they'd only go that way, route if like they were convinced Jansen wasn't going to get right. And I, like Heath said, I think we're a long way off from that. Other bullpen news. Blake Parker pitched in the 10th in a non-save situation. This was an extra innings game. Camber Josian pitched the seventh, Keenan Middleton the eighth and the ninth, and Parker the tenth. Feels feels like Parker was being used as as a closer typically would. Yep. Uh, Tyler Glass now is twenty six percent owned. He's five innings so far. He's given up three hits, one run, seven strikeouts in five innings, but four walks. So just keep that in mind. Glass now twenty six percent owned. How how much stashability is there with him? How much do you think? Or what's a better way to say it? How stashable is he? <laughs> I've been forced to drop him in the two leagues where I hoped to stash him, which were both 15-team roto leagues, so fairly deep. Uh, and I've just been forced to drop him because even even in those deeper leagues, I've found options I like better. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, come June, he's a regular part of the Pirates rotation and striking out 11 batters per nine. Okay, that's Tyler Glass now. And Soria got another save for the White Sox, and he is 37% owned, and Nate Jones set him up. So, Soria. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that right now Soria is the closer, and he wasn't very good the last two years in Kansas City in terms of ERA, but he had a 2-2-3 two, two, FIP in 2017. If he's the guy, then uh, that ownership needs to be like 75. All right, Soria, 37% owned. So let's do a little buy low, sell high as best we can. I haven't really, I haven't really been too inclined to look at the trade mar- uh, trade market right now. Sort of everything's been fairly normal. I mean, that's never completely true, but you know what I mean. Nothing too outlandish so far. Um, what do you think? Any buy lows come to mind? Robbie Ray, I think, is somebody you could buy low on after a start where basically. When things go wrong for Robbie Ray, that's what happens. It was, um, you know, his, his worst case scenario. And he's the guy who had his share of detractors coming into the season. So I could see how the Robbie Ray owner might be concerned right now and you'd be able to buy low. Uh, Jose Ramirez. And it may be too late. I think he had a good game yesterday, but he had a 0.000 BABIP. 3.7% uh... strikeout rate. With an 0.43 average, I think it was two days ago he hit a home run. Uh, okay, you know should so, have two. Each so robbed them of one. Oh, that's true. So how about this? Yeah. I think tomorrow we can talk about, or we can just not do the segment. Any first or second <laughs> round pick, top 24 pick that's been struggling, Vado, Machado, the Indians guys, um, even Aaron Judge yeah. a little bit, and and whether or not they're 
there's anything to worry about or if they're all just kind of like obvious by lows. Uh, but I guess today let's try to look there a little bit deeper. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah, there's nothing, right? I'm preempting the segment. Yeah, I don't know that we need to do much there. But Do you uh, disagree? I don't know. There may be something to worry about. I mean, okay. Judge. Let's worry. Judge we were a little worried about to begin with. But. Well, some of us. I mean, he's walked a lot. He hit his first homer yesterday. I think his batting average is fine, right? He's like hitting 280 something. I don't worry uh, about him in an OBP league, but yeah. in a batting average league, maybe. Whatever. Um, but Blake Snell. <laughs> I said yesterday, if Blake Snell pitches well against the Yankees but has a bad line, I'm going to make some buy-low offers on Blake Snell. But I'm a little concerned just because he has been a bit wild. He's got five walks in nine innings thus far this season against the Yankees and the Red Sox, and that is the bugaboo for Blake Snell. So do you consider him a buy-low? Bugging me, boo. <laughs> yeah, I'd still buy low. That Sanchez homer specifically had no business being a home run yesterday. Um, I, he wasn't as bad as the stat line showed. And he talked about, let's see, how did he phrase it? He said, he said, basically he got kind of psyched out by the lineup. I'm totally paraphrasing here. That's not the exact term he used, but that's how I interpreted it. Got psyched out by the lineup. Said he was nitpicking right. with his pitches. I didn't, I didn't understand exactly what that meant, but he said next week again, next time out against the White Sox, I'm going to be ready. I'm not going to be nitpicking. Right. So, I mean, it was a really tough lineup. Only second start. Looked pretty good first time out. Let's give him a pass. I'd buy low on Quintana if you could. Okay. Yep. What about Lester? He's going to start today, so you don't have that much time. But I guess we can revisit that tomorrow. I think you can wait till after today because he's starting at Miller Park, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe. I just don't like him, so. But <sighs> if the if the, if the uh, amount I could buy him for was low enough, let's hope he gets rocked at Miller Park, I guess. All right. Let's see. I'm wondering if there's anyone else. I mean, like, if you're in a five outfielder league, Kevin Kiermeyer is just off to a terrible start, and people might want to drop him, but he's got some value in categories. Yeah, really nothing that jumps off. But sell high, you know, Cueto was the lead for me. I got some other guys that I'm not saying I want to sell high on, but I want to see how you feel about them, so you tell me. Gregory Polanco, he is off to a very good start. 294 with a home run, a steal, and three doubles in five games. But he only has, I believe, three plate appearances against lefties, and the Pirates have the fourth fewest at-bats against lefties. So maybe we haven't seen the Achilles heel of Polanco yet. Would you want to sell high or hold and see where this goes? I don't I don't think he's done enough to really raise his value in a measurable way. And maybe, maybe I'm just playing with the wrong people and don't understand the way the typical fantasy owner behaves, but I'm— I don't think I could convince anybody he's worth more than an, I drafted him for. Fair enough. With those well, numbers. I, I think it depends on where you drafted him because his ADP was like 13th, 14th, 15th round, wasn't it? Yeah, he was, he was and good value. Every, each of the past two years before last year, it feels like we were drafting him quite a bit earlier. So I think it's a possibility you could convince somebody that he's worth what he was before. The problem is I think he might be worth what he was before. Right. That's the thing. I, I'm bringing these guys up like Polanco, but he might, he might be really good. So uh, that's, one, that's why you'd have to sell him that high. Like, if you actually sell him six round value or whatever we used to draft him as, there's really no downside to that. It just seems implausible to me. Uh, one guy that I was pretty high on, that I'm still pretty high on, but I'm not quite as high as some people in my mentions seem to be, Paul DeYoung. Um, three home runs already this year, but he's still not walking and striking out 30% of the time. So, I would... Very happily take a, a profit on Paul Paul DeYoung and just move on. 
And that's how I feel about Adam Eaton. You know, I think Adam Eaton's a very good player. I don't think he's a star. So if you could try to turn him into a star, you know, go for it. Uh, and Justin Smoke, what do you guys think about Smoke? He was the number nine first baseman in fantasy in both formats last year. He had a really bad final two months. He hit just 213 with eight homers. He did walk a lot, 27 walks, 47 strikeouts. Uh, but Smoke's off to a great start. He's been beaten up on White Sox pitching this week, but he homered off Tommy Canely, I think, and David Robertson last week. So, yeah, what do you, what do you think about Smoke? Red Hot start 385 with two home runs and five doubles in seven games. If nobody bought it after last year, nobody's going to buy it after a week this year. Well, that's a good point. But do you buy it with Smoke? I think there's a good chance he could be a very good option for you again. I wouldn't be opposed to selling high on him. Just the thing, like, anytime we have this sell-high conversation, what I'm always leery of is scaring people about a player. Because when we talk sell-high, the emphasis is on the high, not on the sell. Like, the point is you're trying to get something really good for something that may be not quite as good. It's not dumping a problem player, you know? So, like Heath said, I'm not sure... I'm not sure you're going to be able to turn Justin Smoke into um, Miguel Cabrera or whatever. Or maybe it would have to be at a different position. But you know what I'm saying. Like, an obvious, this is an upgrade. Like, well, would Smoke, you do that, though? Because Smoke was a lot better than Cabrera last year. Would you make that trade? Yeah, I mean, Cabrera's off to a pretty good start himself. And I was obviously drafting him ahead of Smoke. So I would do that. Okay. I would be, uh, I'd be pretty happy to unload Marco Estrada if I somehow... Drafted him, which I never do. <laughs> okay. Like he's, I he's not doing anything good. Oh, you know, I might. I don't know if people are. No, nah, it's ridiculous. I'd buy low on Dallas Keuchel if anybody is not sold. I know, like, I know Chris doesn't really like Keuchel that much uh, compared to others. So maybe the other analytics people don't buy him. I still do. Yesterday was yesterday was pathetic. Two runs, only one earned. Neither should have been earned. Big stupid pop up, five feet behind second base, falls for a hit because Altuve lost it, and that's considered an earned run because baseball is stupid. Uh, all right, anything else in the sell highs or the buy lows? Nope. All right, let's move on. News and notes. Adam Wainwright's going to start today. Did they mention anything about Flaherty? He got sent down. He gone. Oh, he did. Yeah, he got sent down. He'll be back. I mean, it wasn't a surprise. Who else were they going to send down? We knew Adam Wainwright was a day or two from returning, but we, he'll be back. Like, from this point forward, we will just refu- refer to him as Adam Egg Sucker Wainwright, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine with me. He can go suck an egg. Uh, Hunter Pence day-to-day with a thumb injury. Angel starting pitcher Andrew Heaney expects to be back next week. Any interest in Andrew Heaney? No. He has to do something first. There's upside there, but... Like, I'm not I, – I've already picked up too many upside pitchers to drop one for that speculative pickup. Ian Kinsler expects to be back next week. Aled Diaz could be back tomorrow. And Baltimore outfielder Mark Trumbo is nearing a return. Well, I guess I could throw these guys in the by-low-ish category. Two second basemen who are not living up to the hype so far after big springs. Ian Happ batting 125 with two walks and ten strikeouts. And Ozzy Albies batting 172 with no walks and six strikeouts, and he has not stolen a base. Are you concerned about Hap or Albies? Very concerned about Ian Hap. Because the playing time isn't there, and because the strikeouts have been super high, 
Like those were the downsides to Ian Happ. It, and Heath was high on him from the beginning. I, I was won over this spring by that talk. He's going to be our primary center fielder and leadoff man. And that's just not the way it's played out. He's, he's, they been, lied. Yeah, they lied. Um, and I, I think I said it yesterday. He's droppable in points leagues. I think where obviously the lineups are smaller. There's a lot of second base alternatives and the strikeouts are going to hurt you there. So I, I think he's right in that droppable range in that format. Obviously holding on to him tighter and, uh, in roto leagues. I am very concerned about Ian Happ. There is no chance I'm dropping him after a week of baseball. Yeah, it's, I mean, this guy hit 24 homers in 115 games last year. I know his, his walk strikeout ratio was bad. But well, you're, no, you're just, just his strikeout ratio. His walk, and, he, he walks plenty. And again, roto leagues, different animal. Um, you're just looking to compile stats however you can, but uh, points leagues, like hardly anybody who doesn't play every day is worth starting in a points league, you know? So you're really relying on Joe Madden changing his behaviors and I'm not. I just, he wasn't bad against lefties last year. And you know who was and is still going to be bad against lefties? Kyle Schwarber. And Schwarber has been playing every day and he's a bad defender. So it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's there's room there. Yeah, put out Mora in center and move Hap to left against lefties, and it just doesn't make any sense. I you know I, I feel like they're going to wise it up, but but yeah, I mean, and it's they concerning. may not, and I may eventually drop Ian Hap, but I I just still think his upside is worth holding on to more than six days. Okay, guys, tell me uh, about these steel sources and what you think about their ownership percentage. Michael Taylor has three steals and three attempts. He stole 17 in 118. He was he was like 30, 25 homers steals last year on on pace for that, um, and he's 85 percent owned. Jonathan VR is 58 percent owned. He has no extra base hits, but he's batting 304 with two steals. And Reese Hoskins has two steals, same as he had last year in 50 games. That's weird. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't expect Reese Hoskins to be a base stealer. Speaking I of Gabe Kapler, I think the other two are pretty good base stealers. Is that a thing? Speaking of how Gabe... do we how do we not have a segment of Gabe Kapler's follies from last night? That did he do more? Was oh, last what did he do? Um, I would say that he did. Like they tie game, put in Drew Hutchison in the sixth inning for Aaron Nola when he was at eighty-seven pitches and given up two runs, and then did a fun defensive alignment where he put his right fielder basically at second base, and Ahmed Rosario hit a triple over his head. To give this team a lead. Oh, uh, anyway, I think VR is appropriately owned. Fifty-eight percent is all of our roto leagues and NL only leagues, and maybe a couple of points leagues, and that's probably about right. Taylor should not be owned in points leagues. I Taylor's eighty-five percent ownership. I know. That, I couldn't believe that for it. Real? I couldn't believe it. That's insane. What was like if Taylor is what he was last year? That's not ownable in a points league? No, it's not. It's uh, because he strikes out so much um, that the point-per-game average was pretty low. I'll pull it up now just to verify what it was. And that, and it's a big if, first of all, because the BABIP was high. The guy strikes out a lot. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's long for the role because eventually they're going to want to replace him with Victor Robles. Now it's possible an injury could happen and open the door for Robles before that, but... That is not how I believe it's going to play out. So basically, Michael Taylor averaged 2.46 points per game last year, which was about the same as Max Kepler. It was worse than Chris Owings and Trey Mancini 
um, Melky Cabrera. Like that's, it's not a very good player. All right. Ah, oh, man. Did not get to a lot of the stuff I wanted to get to today. Is there anything major that I am missing? Matt Chapman. People have been asking about him. 52% owned. Matt Chapman. Yeah, I, he's off to a good start. I think four of his last five games, multi hits, multiple hits. Um, but here's the thing about Chapman. He strikes out pretty good amount, close to 30% of the time. And only hit 230 something last year because of it. Fairly ordinary Babbitt. He needs a high Babbitt with that profile to hit for a respectable batting average, and he just doesn't get the line drives to do that. It was only a 16% line drive rate last year. It's only 11 early this season, and that's not enough. So he's kind of all or nothing as a hitter, uh, who's, you know, just happens to be off to a good start here. I'm not investing a lot in him. I think he's owned appropriately. Like he's in a, in a roto league. I think he's probably should be mostly owned. Again, no room in points. Matt Chapman, 52% owned. Would you rather have Matt Chapman or Matt Davidson, who hit his fourth home run yesterday? Chapman. Yeah, Chapman's probably going to be more reliable for you. All right. I don't know if there's anything major here. John Gray was awesome. Aaron Sanchez was good enough. Seven strikeouts were were nice. Syndergaard's off to kind of a, by his standards, bad start. Ten innings, six runs. But I'm sure we're not worried. Um, yeah, I did want to mention that Keiko bad control yesterday, which is unusual for him, and and the runs were just stupid. So it just had he didn't have his good stuff apparently yesterday, according to the reports. Eligibility: Brad Miller is now eligible at first base and corner infield. D Gordon is now outfield eligible. J.P. Crawford is now shortstop and middle infield eligible. Albert Pujols is a game away from first base eligibility. Colin Moran is a game away from third base. Eduardo Escobar is a game away from shortstop eligibility, and Escobar's off to a good start, guys. Sure. He's off to a fine start. I don't think he's a very good player. Uh, let's see. Enrique Hernandez needs one game for second base. Hanley needs one game for first base. Matt Carpenter needs one game for third base eligibility and three games for second. Neil Walker needs one game for first base. Howie Kendrick needs two games for second base eligibility. Cattell Marte needs two games for second base eligibility. And Will Myers is on the DL. When he gets back, he needs one game for outfield eligibility. Uh, the starts and the sits today, I will just do the difficult ones. Would you start Caleb Smith or Nick Pavetta, Marlins at Phillies? Neither. Okay. I might consider, I am, I guess I should say I am streaming Nick Pavetta in a league. So there are circumstances where that might happen. Okay, uh, Martin Perez, Daniel Mengden, I'm assuming no, right? Nope. Uh, Tyler Anderson and, oh, I forgot to look up his name, Joey Lucchesi. No. Um, nope. Okay. Um, James Paxton, Kyle Gibson. Obviously Paxton, and I would not do Gibson despite his six no-hit innings the first time out. Yeah, two guys who we thought completely different things about who were not who we thought they were in their first start. It's a good one to watch. And we don't want Jordan Zimmerman or James Shields. We don't want Andrew Kashner. We do want Masahiro Tanaka. If I'm wrong, just jump in. We don't want Homer Bailey or Steven Brault. We do want Robbie Ray. We don't want Adam Wainwright, do we? No. No, I will go back on Homer Bailey, though. I think he could be interesting at Pittsburgh today. Hmm, okay. And John Lester at Brent Suter. This is the interesting one. Do we want Lester or Suter? I'm probably going to start Lester. 
if I drafted him. He, I drafted him to be one of my top five pitchers, and I'm not going to abandon that after one start. Even though it's a top venue, I'd uh, start him. Okay. Uh, suit or no? So I'm not going to start Adam Wainwright, especially since he hasn't pitched yet this year. But each of the last two years, he's been terrible on the road and has had a low 3 ZRA at home. So just keep that in mind. This is a home start. Maybe something to keep in mind going forward for his next home start. We'll read some emails. Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. Jamie from Baltimore-ish, Maryland. Dear Lucky, Dusty, Ned, and El Guapo. The three amigos and their villain. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I have to accept Rendon for Holland in a 10-team Roto League, right? It's a saves plus hold league. I still have Wade Davis, Iglesias, Boxberger, and Fernando Rodney. I got to accept my oh, yeah. Holland for his Rendon, right? Yeah. Sounds like RP heavy paying off early in the season to me. Do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. A beautiful, beautiful place. I was going to ask. Yeah, sounds nice. A lot of poplars. No. Poplar Bluff. They're just bluffing. I noticed ah. that you are speaking. <laughs> I noticed you are speaking a lot about swinging strikes. Seems to me you should not discount strikes looking. One could view the swinging strikes as a pitch that appears hittable, that has late movement and is swung upon a miss. No doubt effective and impressive. But some could be just plain old swings and misses. One could also view the strikes looking as pitches that do not appear hittable that move into the strike zone. Again, no doubt effective as a strike, not swung upon. We'll never, whatever. Uh, I'm only guessing here, but assume the strike looking stats are higher upon control specialists. I think that Matt can be right and a little bit wrong at the same time. Swinging strikes are more important and uh, from everything I've seen, more indicative than strike looking. I do think strikes looking get a little bit of a bad name. Yeah. Uh, you know who were two good strike looking pitchers before they became strike swinging pitchers? Well, only one actually has become that. Aaron Nola was really known for a standout in terms of strikes looking. But Jake Junis may be following in his footsteps there. So there, it's not like there's nothing there, but yeah, swinging strikes are more, more indicative of dominance because the hitter was actually fooled as opposed to just working the count, you know? If there's a guy who I'm going to be looking at the looking strikes column for, it's going to be Tyler Malley because his control was unbelievable in his first start. And that's the only thing I've ever seen of his. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that for Malley. And Cueto's always been a, a pretty good looking strikes guy, right? I don't know. Probably. Uh, I'm not sure. He won't be this year because he's, you know, he's terrible. From Zach, <laughs> how good will Dan Murphy, Daniel Murphy be when he comes back? Hopefully the stud hitter he was the last two seasons. I, it seems like they're taking his time with his rehabilitation, which is helpful in that regard, getting him back to full strength. Um, if he does come in a matter of weeks, you know, before mid-May, let's say, then I would say it was a good investment and I would uh, be not looking to sell him when he comes back, obviously, because I think he's going to be a top five second baseman from that point forward. All right, it's Daniel Murphy, and we got two trades from Eric. Grade the trade. My, I think, turn he gives up Turner and Grandal. Trey Turner and Grandal. He gets Gary Sanchez and Paul DeYoung. It's pretty interesting. Turner and Grandal for Gary Sanchez and DeYoung. I don't, I don't think I like it. I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. He's giving up 
He's giving up Sanchez and DeYoung. I'm no, just making sure I'm here. No, he's right. giving up Turner and Grandal for Sanchez and DeYoung. I like the Turner yeah. side better. Definitely. Yeah, C- minus or D+. Plus. And finally, Chris from Edmonton is in a head-to-head points league. Uh, he has been offered Brad Boxberger for Matt Harvey. Would you give up Harvey for Boxberger? Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'd say I, I don't think it's – like, it just depends on me. Like, if you have – what format is this? Head to head points, uh, but he does. Head to head points. He does so, need. He does need Boxberger. He only has Giles as a closer. Okay, but I mean, somebody else is going to appear soon enough. Like, if Harvey is becomes a reliable starter again, that's going to be more valuable than, uh, you know, a back end startable closer. Well, but he might not be in points league. Boxberger might be a top ten closer. All you got to do is get saves. He's on a good team. Yes, but. It's one of those things where, like, even if a guy is a top 10 closer on July 1st, like, saves are so random in their distribution that, like, you you don't necessarily feel good he's going to be a top 10 closer going forward. You know, it's just kind of, I don't know. I always think of Danny Graves that one year where he had, like, 30 saves in the first half and six in the second half or something stupid. Right. And in news that I don't know what it means, but I can confirm something I said earlier, Johnny Cueto has a 16% strike looking rate this year. He's had 14 and 15 strikes looking in his first two starts. And back when he was a good pitcher, his strike looking rate was 16 to 18%. His swinging strike weight rate was right around 10. Will you just make me an offer already in the, in the Memorial League? Oh, yes, I will make you an offer Just get today. Cueto off my team, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Heath. It won't be a good offer. All right. Uh, I, <laughs> I, you can offer me a hit or two because I got some pitching depth. We'll talk to you later, everybody. We'll talk to you on Friday. Bye.